fruitfully. Everybody said? Amen. So today is our final sermon in the series God's Plan for Your Wellbeing. We gave those who were here at the, in the early days, at least we ran out of books. Uh, one of these books has been a thrill to hear stories of how people have given books to friends who don't come to this church and might not go to any church. Someone gave it to their head teacher at school and the head teacher's like, I, I love this. I've been reading it. So can I commend it to you? It's a very timely way in, especially to people who wouldn't necessarily call themselves Christians. Well-being is a bit of a buzzword in the world. And we're adding God's plan for your well-being, which is much richer and deeper and sweeter. So you might want to order one online and give it to some friends or colleagues. If you have missed some of the series, just go to our website and forward slash well-being and you'll be able to find all of the sermons. You'll find links to the book. You'll find links to other workshops and seminars that we think would be super helpful for you. Today we are talking about financial well-being. Can you say money? Money. Money. I work all night. I work all day to pay the bills I have to pay. Ain't it sad? I'm not going to sing the whole thing. I won't do that to you. And still there never seems to be a single penny left for me. That's too bad. In my dreams, I have a plan. I got me, should I say this in church? If I got me a wealthy man, I wouldn't have to work at all. I'd fool around and have a ball. Come on. Money, money, money. It's a rich man's. Uh, let me tell you, you can dream because God has a plan and you've got the wealthiest man in the world who owns and rules over all things. And you will have to work. But your work would bring you joy more than fooling around ever will. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It's his, it's his world. That's the cheesiness out the way. You can breathe. Uh, in a recent survey, uh, probably a few years ago now, on money, none of this will surprise you. 77% of people surveyed said they were stressed about money issues. 17% they were very stressed. 14% said they worry about money every single day. 12% Worry about money two to three times a week. 80% said, I'd be happier if I earned more money. 20% said, I'm scared to check my bank account. So one in five in this room, maybe we're scared to check our bank account. 38% said, I don't feel comfortable talking about my money struggles. Do you feel comfortable talking about money? In the church, you hear some... Uh, bizarre things and you hear extreme views, don't you? You hear that money is the root of all evil. Ever heard that one? That's not in the Bible. The love of money is the root of all evil. You read that in 1 Timothy 6, but not money in and of itself. You have extremes that say having lots of money is bad and it's a sign that you've betrayed God. Whereas being poor is like really holy. I mean, if you're poor, you're a super holy person. Being poor... On the other hand, some people say it's a sign of your irresponsibility with money. And God's plan is for you to have heaps of money. Come to Jesus and he will make you rich. I mean, let's look at the life of Jesus. Okay. Um, but you can get all these extremes with money. So I don't, I don't, when you think about money, how does it make you feel? Just be attentive from the things I've said, just on the inside. When you think about money and, and Jesus and faith, maybe you wouldn't self, call yourself a Christian what do you think the church makes of money? It's got a mixed reputation, to be honest. But money is a very, very big deal because there's no neutral ground with money. Money is something you master or it is mastering you. Okay? There's, there's no neutral ground when it comes to money. It's something that you master or you master, it masters you. And if you are a Christian, you have one master and his name is not money. <laughs> 
His name is Jesus. And everything else is to come under his rule. And anything we don't bring under the rule of Christ actually rules us. It's like an idol, isn't it? We think, okay, let's put Jesus alongside this thing. If this thing disappears, I'm going to be devastated. Not just sad, but utterly devastated. Or if this thing is present, I'm going to be so happy. That's what an idol, okay? It's not a statue, it's a calf thing. It's a thing that so dominates and rules your life. Think, if I had it, everything's okay. If I didn't have it, everything would fall apart. And that could be a myriad of things, from material things to relational things to acclaim. Jesus says in Matthew 6, verse 24, you may have heard this. It's not on a slide, don't worry. It says, no one can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other. Do you notice the extremeness of this? You cannot serve two masters. So he's equating money as a master. You'll either love one and hate the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And that word serve there is the word for slave. In the book that we looked at, Dave Smith says, 16 of the 38 parables Jesus told were concerned with how to handle money and possession. In the Gospels, one out of 10 verses, 288, deal directly with the subject of money. It is no surprise then that your well-being, your flourishing, even from a human worldly perspective, let alone a spiritual perspective, includes the financial and material part of your life. Can you say money? money. Say it with a smile. Money. Great. Say it with a frown. Money. Feels more appropriate to be serious about money. It's okay. Uh, in a church, we try to be very upfront about money, but not make too much of it. Um, but just as anything else, in the Bible it says excel in things. Excel in encouragement. Excel in faith. Excel in whatever it might be. But then it also says excel in the grace of giving. We should be as comfortable to talk about how you steward your money as we are. How about you steward your faith and your encouragement and your devotion to everything else. So today what we are going to do is I'm going to preach for a short time. So we're going to have on some principles scripturally. And then we're going to have a bit of a panel. We're going to hear from Abraham and Joel who are introduced in a little bit. They both work in the financial sector. And then there's going to be two follow-up seminars to today. The first one in a couple of Mondays will be a chance to hear from Abraham and Joel. The first one will be primarily for people who are a bit worried about money and want to, or not even worry, but just want to get it under control. And that will be budgeting and some practical aspects like that, getting out of debt. And then the second one will be about wealth building, so how you can steward your stuff going forward, so pensions and retirement things. And when I introduce them, you'll um, hopefully be signing up very quickly because they have a lot to offer us in terms of their wisdom. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to very quickly rattle through some principles and give you lots of scripture, okay? When you preach, sometimes you have to maybe help people access emotionally what Scripture says. Sometimes just letting the weight of Scripture speak to us is the most helpful, helpful thing. So that's what we're going to do. And just to say on Matthew 6, 24, where Jesus says you can't serve both God and money, the immediate verses after that, Matthew 6, verse 25, say, Do not be anxious about your life. Are you not more precious than the birds and the lilies? who God takes care of. So much of our worry and our anxiety has to do with money, money, money. So my prayer today is that we would be motivated to deliberately steward our money so that we can walk into freedom and honor God with it and that we would also be motivated to deliberately long-term steward our money so that we'd be able to honor God with it. And for many of us, that'll be different. For some, it'll be X, Y, or Z. Others, you will... Leave and build something that will last beyond you. For others of us, you'll feel particular faith 
to just live a life where you're super generous and you're happy to live however you feel God calling you to. So principle number one, I will dash through these. Has everyone got a communion cup? If you haven't, pop your hand up later in the service. So principle number one, I'm going to get you to repeat these with me. Can you say worship, not wealth? So think worship, not wealth. Matthew 6, 24, we've read it. You cannot serve both God and money. It's an issue of worship. You cannot doubt that when you look at the weight of Scripture. How you deal with your money is worship. We talk about reading our Bible. We talk about prayer. We talk about purity. We talk about holiness. And we're deliberate in those things. Are we as deliberate with our money as a means of worship of God and particularly how we deal with it in our hearts? Proverbs 3, verse 9 to 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Honor with your wealth. Your wealth is a means of worship. Okay? So first principle, which will frame all the others, is that worship, not wealth, when it comes to money. Again, going back to Matthew 6, where Jesus says, you can't serve two masters, don't be anxious about anything. He then says, but seek first the kingdom of God and all these things We'll bow down to you. Seek first. It's an issue of worship. I hope that one's clear. Principle number one. Principle number two that flows from that, if our use of money is about worship, it's about stewardship, not ownership. Can you say stewardship, not ownership? If it's about worship, it comes under the rule of Christ. And it's about Him, not about us. So 1 Corinthians six nineteen to 20. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price, so glorify God with your body. So whatever you make of money, you're handling it, and you are not your own. I tell you, this is probably, I mean, it's, it's in the Bible, so pastorally experience people who haven't reconciled that they are under a master and they are not their own. Even when you do that, it's a wrestle for your joy and your fullness. But if you haven't submitted your life as best as you can with all the wrestles you have and accepted that you are not your own, <laughs> you will have a lot of wrestling that is unnecessary. We sang today, God is good. When it's good, when it's bad, you're worthy of praise. Do you believe that? Have you reconciled that you are not your own? in the face of questions and of mystery and of hurt and of pain and of joy and of success and of fruitfulness. I am not my own. I was brought at a price. You asked your son to carry this. It's not an objective thing for a Christian. It's, a, it's, a, it's why I'm here and have a hope in my heart. It's about stewardship, not ownership. Psalm 24 verse 1, the earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants belong to the to the Lord. So often we can think, my, we, we, we deliberate when we think the spiritual gifts I have belong to the Lord. I'm coming to church on Sunday. It's wonderful to hear some people saying, I spent some time with the Lord before the service and I felt them say this. We think, how do I steward my gifts to bless other people? But often we think of that as words of knowledge, prophecy, encouragement. But actually, we should be just as deliberate with our money because it's about investment, it's about stewardship, not ownership. So if it's about worship, then it's about stewardship. And if it's stewardship, not ownership, well, then how we view money should be about principle number three, investment, not spending. Can you say investment, not spending? Investment, not spending. 
Okay, so it's God's. This is all about worship. How do, how do I look after it? Okay, God, what do you tell me to do with money? You tell me to invest it for kingdom purposes. So Matthew 6, 19 to 20. Verse 9, God is not into kind of, he's into stashing your, stashing your dosh, if you like, but just in the right place and in the right way. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in. It's good to store up treasure just in the right place and in the right way where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. Uh, An example I heard ages ago is just imagine you were going to retire in Spain. Who wants to retire in Spain? Or South America, or somewhere where it's warm and it's hot and it's sunny and there's glorious beaches like Mersey. Um, <laughs> just joking. Um, Mersey's wonderful though, and I love Mersey. Um, but you couldn't take anything with you when you moved there because you, you, your wealth, you couldn't just suddenly transfer your wealth. But until you moved there, you could invest £100 a month. So what would you do today? What was the first thing you'd do when you leave today? You'd start depositing £100 a month in a Spanish bank account. So that when you got there, happy days. Same with heaven. We get to store up treasure ahead of us. The Bible talks about rewards, not about salvation. But we, there's something about being rewarded in heaven. It's a bit of a mystery how it all works out. But what we do counts. And how we invest stuff counts. And it's a spiritual principle. And it works as well with money here and now. You cannot take it with you, but you can send it ahead. And so that's kind of big picture spiritually, but also it's how we deal with money now. How do I invest this into kingdom seed that bears fruit for the glory of Jesus? And going on a holiday and getting rest and being joy-filled and enjoying the blessings of God is one of the ways you can do that. It's okay. Smile. Relax. No one's going to tell you off if you go on a lovely holiday. Just take us with you. Okay, principle number four. If you think investment, not spending... Think giving or generosity, not getting. Can you say giving, not getting? Can I just say, try and write down, bring a paper Bible, write stuff down. You're shown to take so much more in when you, when you make notes. Um, some of you are like, but I'm an auditory learner. Okay, fine, good. But generally speaking, try and write things down if it's helpful. So giving, not getting. Acts 20 verse 35. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to. In fact, we're even physically or neurologically wired to be givers. I believe we release, when you give, you release twice as much dopamine or one of those nice feeling hormones as when you take. So if you're like, oh, this whole Bible stuff's all about money. Well, just science, if you love science, is telling you that you are wired to be a giver. It is a means of your joy. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Luke 6 verse 38. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap for which the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Nice verse. I think there's a spiritual principle that can be applied to money, but the context is actually forgiveness of that verse. Forgive. And there's various other things about kind of our inner being. And in that context, it says give, and it will be given back to you. But there is a spiritual principle that when you give and you are generous, and there's heaps of other scriptures, there is a blessing promised that might look like more cash through the door. So we've had that in our lives. Anonymous gifts at bizarrely necessary times 
through our door. Many in this room have had that story before. You think, okay, I, I don't know how that happened. I'm not matching A with B because I gave that and that came. But my testimony and my family's would be we've given to God our first and best and God has cared for us more than we could have ever imagined. So worship, not wealth. Stewardship, not ownership. Investment, not spending. Giving, not getting. And then fifthly, contentment, not comparison. Can you say contentment? contentment. Not comparison. And actually you get contentment through generosity, as we'll see. Because when you give and you trust God, you find out that God's ways work. And you learn the secret to be content. Philippians 4, verse 11 to 13. I don't say this out of need, Paul writes, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I find myself. Have you learned to be content, money or otherwise? Right now, in this moment, are you content? I do not say that glibly because I know some of your stories and I know my own story. But there is a rich and deep promise that you can be totally and utterly content. I have learned to be content when the sun's shining and it's summertime. No, when it's February and it's dark, when I leave the house and when I come back in. Whatever circumstances I find myself, I know how to make do with little and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and in all circumstances, I have learned the secret. Can you say secret? Of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or need. I am able to do all things through him who? Notice the context of the magnet verse. I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. What's the context? Contentment. You are able to be content in any circumstance. I'm able to do all things. You know, God might give you a specific promise that you're able to do something in a particular situation. But, but the context that this verse is deeply true about is of your contentment. You can. I can do all things. We use it as a battle cry verse, an overcoming verse. We need that to fight for contentment, don't we? I can do all things. I can be content. I've had repeated seasons in my life where you wake up in the morning and you listen to the news or you're in the evening and you're scrolling through Facebook or whatever it might be and you just see all the things you want. Or you just, for whatever reason, down, grumpy, bad, tired, bad diet, whatever, you just, I'm discontent. Uh, hey, that's when you fight. I can do all, I can find contentment in God. And you find it through generosity, I think. Test me in this. And you will know that my way is good, pleasing, and perfect, God says. How do you test God? Well, you're faithful and you're obedient to Him. And guess what? You come out the other side and say, God's ways work. So that's how we find, I think that's one of the ways you find the secret of contentment. You obey God and you look back and you think, wow, that was okay. I did without that. God came through. I was content. Often it's faith and then you see the fruit. If I could ask God for one gift, I would ask God for the foresight of hindsight great gift wouldn't it be if i could know now what i will know then and look on my life now how i'll look on it then I'm, the small stuff would just be small stuff and i would actually be attentive to so many other things and i'll look back yeah who looks back and think man what a fool i was just like if i hadn't done that or if i'd done more of that if we had the gift of foresight of hindsight listen god's given us the foresight just do what he tells you and then you'll look back and think god is good 
Principle number number six. <laughs> These are a bit more mine. I couldn't find better words. Take some pastoral liberty. Be sober, not stupid. Okay? <laughs> Can you say sober, not stupid? Forgive me if you appreciate gentler words. Mark chapter 4, verse 19. Others, so talking about seed being sown here, maybe a parable particularly of God's word getting into our hearts. Others are like seed sown among the thorns. These are the ones who hear the word, like you're doing now. You're hearing the word. I'm casting seed out to you. The Holy Spirit is doing it as well. But the worries of this age, specifically the deceitfulness of wealth. Wealth is deceitful. Be sober about that. And the desires for other things enter and choke the word and it becomes fruitful. Everyone in this room has probably had at least one thought of, man, if I really obeyed God with money, it would mean this, 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 and this, and not this, 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 and this. Something of the thought like that's probably gone through our minds. Yeah, we think, oh, I'll do without that, without that. And that might be true, and God might not be calling you to do that. But the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things enter and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And those like seed sown on good ground hear the word, welcome it, produce fruit 30, 60, and 100 times what was sown. You want to be fruitful in your life, receive the word as best as you can now and be fruitful with it. And so 1 Timothy 6 verse 9 to 10. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap and many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And by craving it, some have wandered away from faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Wow. There is a sobriety to wanting money. We are commanded, we are told to command those, Scripture says, who are rich to be generous. Why? Because God needs your money. Well, it's a tool for His purposes, but it's to protect your soul. If you want to get wealth so you can steward it and be a blessing, fantastic. But if it's for the love of money and because you just want to be rich, be sober. Some of you are starting your career, studying, you think, I'm going to get this job and I'm going to make lots of money. You're going to look back in five or six years and think, do I have a life? Others of you think, man, God's given me gifts and talents and I'm going to steward it and be as fruitful as I can for the kingdom. You're going to look back and you think, wow, isn't God good? Your bank balance might be the same, but your intentions are very different. Be sober, not stupid. Maybe there's a more gracious word. Proverbs 30, verse 7 to 9. It's not on the screen. The guy writes Proverbs. says, Two things I ask of you. Don't deny them to me before I die. Keep falsehood and deceitful words far from me. Amen? Amen? Amen. I haven't told you the second thing yet. Give me neither poverty nor wealth. Feed me with the food I need. Otherwise, I might have too much and deny you, saying, Who is the Lord? Or I might have nothing and steal, profaning the name of my God. See, money can be a big deal when you don't have it, and it can be a big deal when you do have it. When you don't have it, you can covet, covet more, covet more, covet more. When you do have it, you probably will covet more, covet more, covet more. But actually, you think, who is the Lord? Look, look, look what I've got, look what I've made. It's a provoking prayer. Give me neither riches nor poverty, Lord, because the most important thing is my, is my heart. Final principle. And bring it all together. So we've had worship, not wealth. Stewardship, not ownership. Investment, not spending. These are all positive things, aren't they? Giving, not getting. Contentment, not comparison. 
sobriety, not stupidity. And then seventhly, and I appeal to you, openness, not awkwardness. Can you say openness? Please have someone that you talk to about money who's outside of your household in some way, shape, or form. It will do you good. It doesn't have to be every single detail of your finance. But most of the power of money is in its secrecy, isn't it? You think most of it's, it's like, oh, because we end up being secret because we think, what will you think of us? Now there's wisdom and there's discretion and it's helpful for some people to know how much you've got and it's not helpful for some people to know. And sometimes we need to be open about our needs. Whatever, but openness, have people you can talk to about your money, especially if you're struggling and you're in debt. You can, out of shame or even not even wanting to bother people, you can keep that bottled in and it'll be worse and worse and worse and it will affect other things. Open up about it. Go to the seminar that we're going to be running. You, you don't have to reveal all your details, but have some. If this is, as Jesus says, an issue of mastering or being mastered, surely you need some help. <laughs> Some kind of help in some measure. Don't we we'll be like, oh, this, this, you know, I want to be accountable with what I put my eyes on. Okay, good, but this is seemingly just as dangerous. How can I be accountable with my, with my money or my dosh? I hope that is helpful. Can you say money, money, money? money, money, money. It's Jesus' world. Okay, so now I'm just going to invite Abraham and Joel up, guys. Do you want to come up and just as they get set up, I want to commend these men to you. They have been. Um, Personally, very helpful for me. I think we've got a couple of microphones. Joel, could you grab them to me? They both work in the financial industry. I'll get them to tell you a little bit about themselves, but they are very humble men. And so the brief I get them was, please be open and honest about your money stuff as much as you can. We know you're humble. Okay, so they, I want to commend them to you as humble men. Abraham is the founder and CEO of Timeline, and Joel is a wealth management guy. Guys, you want to come in and get a bit cozy just so that we've got the resource on camera? Um, and I just think you're, you're nice guys. So Abraham and Joel, this will be, this will be quite brief. Um, so firstly, can you just give us, I don't know, in a, in a minute or so, who you are and what you do and add a bit of flavor to the headlines on screen? Joel. Um, so I am a wealth manager, is it on screen? Um, that is essentially a fancy word for financial advisor. <laughs> um, so it just means exactly the same thing. Um, I day-to-day help people to uh, manage and sort of steward finances and to plan for life now and life in the future and trying to essentially make the best of uh, what they have available. That's me in, in a nutshell. Good. If you if you can, just so we've got it on records to record it. Um, thank you. All right. Okay. Um, yeah. So my name is Abraham. I, I run a company called Timeline. So it's a financial technology company. Essentially, we provide software to financial advisors to help people plan their financial future, and uh, we manage money. We manage investments. Um, you know, on behalf of Great, and so uh, this will be on individual scales, but also on significantly wider scales. So just one question for each of you, if you're on, I'll tell you, maybe we'll start with you, Abraham. How does being a Christian impact you working with wealth increase and wealth production and wealth stewarding? So your your world is all about money, and you have a variety of clients and their purposes and that. So how does being a Christian impact your approach to basically wealth production, I would guess? You know, to me, you, you said something very important earlier that literally there are 
over 2,500 verses of scriptures about money. More than faith and prayer put together. So faith and prayer, there's 500 verses of scriptures. Money, 2,500 plus. So there's 31,000 verse. I looked at I looked at I looked at <laughs> yeah. like, yeah. There's 31,000 verses of scriptures. Nearly 10% of them, around 8% of them is about money. You said there's about 38% of Jesus. Jesus' parables are about money. So surely God, being a loving father, knows that money is important to us. There is no glory to God in seeing us, his children, constantly stressing and suffering and worrying about money. So to me, money is a very important tool in our lives. God recognizes that. He wants us to prosper. You know, he literally says in 3 John 2, you know, I pray that you prosper in all things mm. and that you're in good health, even as your soul prospers. So the, the prosperity of our soul, the, you know, our worship to God finds expression one way, it finds expression is through our money. So, so I really believe that money is very important to us and that as Christians, God has given us the tools mm. um, in scriptures, you know, to, to, to manage money confidently and, and for us to, to, to prosper. Great, super. You do my job for me. Keep going. <laughs> Joel. Um, it's a hard act to follow. Sorry, just for clarity, any time I have conversations with Abraham, it does feel like he's just yeah, a, a bit of a tough one to, to go after. Anyway, um, so... I'm, I'm going to go slightly differently um, in my answer. So the way that I've kind of approached it and seen it in my workplace is more in how I can kind of bless the clients that I serve. So I probably about 98% of my clients are not Christians. So it's very difficult for me to say, well, for every Christian client that I see, you know, I, I would be stewarding them and I would be guiding them in this particular way. Um, I tend to be more on the uh, on the side of well before a meeting I'll go in and I'll I'll be um, I'll be praying Lord just Holy Spirit come and just be in the room, Lord bless my boss help him in in terms of how we how we do things and and bless the team as well in terms of how we look after our clients and making sure that's done really well and that that is probably what I see as doing things as unto the Lord and and just really trying to um, continually, you know, bless them and in guiding them through through life. Um, I suppose on the other, other side of it, it's more kind of encouraging, you know, where they, they might be very wealthy, you know, generosity and, and giving and, and that side of things um, where, where they can. But um, that's not always for me to say because I have to naturally work for them and what they are aiming and trying to do. So Great. And and in terms of so in your industry, which is all about money, 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 um, how what are the areas where you've seen positively wealth has been approached and used by believers or unbelievers, 
and then also the, the classic pitfalls. I mean, we, we might presume that they're obvious, but you think, okay, in, in your dealings, you think, I can kind of see what their gender is in this, or I can actually, I can see what their gender is in this. Um, start with you. Um, I'll give more of a, well, a much more personal story. <laughs> um, so we'll start with the sad bit, because um, there is a sad bit. So this week, um, just gone, my wife's grandma passed away um, on Thursday. And um, the reason that's significant is because, um, sorry, <laughs> the reason that's significant is because probably eight or nine years ago, um, she sat down and, and decided that she wanted to um, gift uh, money to six of her grandchildren um, in order for them to have um, deposits for a house um, so that when they came to come onto the property ladder, um, they were able to, to, to go and buy somewhere they didn't have to kind of stress and have to strive. It wasn't kind of that um, that sort of challenge that um, she and kind of other people had faced. Um, and so essentially, you know, she's she's gifted that and seen in her lifetime her children, her grandchildren um, and even her great-grandchildren, our kids, um, you know, having the blessing of their... Um, of a home and also we see it and sort of talking to Lisa the other day, you know, as a, as a great blessing to, to the church because actually, you know, we can open a home up to other people. We're able to, you know, host life group, we're able to host lunches, we're able to uh, invite people into our home. And if she hadn't done that and there hadn't been that blessing there, then we wouldn't be um, where we are now and what a legacy for her to leave um, to her grandchildren and to her great-grandchildren. Mm, very good. You know, the Bible says that a righteous man passes wealth to the next generation. This is in the Bible, right? So when I think about all the good things, all the great examples that we've seen about money, that we see about money, comes from money being a tool, being a servant, you know, to be used for a good cause, you know, um, either for ourselves, for the next generation. I came out of what you might call, you know, really, most people in this room co co consider it to be relative poverty, right? You know, like there isn't a lot, uh, there wasn't a lot. And, and for me, when I think about the tool that money, um, you know, the good tool that money can be in a way that the next generation doesn't have to suffer or go through the hardship of a previous generation, you know? And I think that's, that's very powerful. And that expresses itself, itself in, in several different ways, you know, you know, grandma being able to give money to, you know, to, to the grandchildren. Um, you know, we have examples of, um, you know, a family member wanting to go through an IVF and, you know, somebody else being able to pay, um, you know, for that because they didn't have the money. And then to see the child named after the giver of the, the, the wealth or the, the money, it, to me, it's just incredible the differences that you can make uh, in money being a tool. And then when you think about the bad examples, you know, we, we for me and I, my wife, we, we have examples in our lives when Money was a, a root of constant stress. You know, I don't know. Uh, I, you know, a, 
years ago when I personally got into so much debt. You know, we, we, Joe and I, we, we, we're, we're financial professionals. I am chartered financial planner, certified wealth manager. I had so much debt that <laughs> you wouldn't believe it, right? You know, so, and there's so much shame and guilt and secrecy, you know, and fights between couple. Uh, there, there's, you know, stats around mm. money being the, the root of fight be, between, I don't know, 40% of fights, more than half of, I don't know, 40%, 50% of fights between couples. It's something money. to do with money. And, 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 and so all the negative examples come from, you know, the bad association, um, you know, guilt, secrecy, um, shame that, that, that come with money. And I think that, you know, hence I think it's important that mm. we, money itself is amoral. It's neither moral or immoral. It's not mm. good or bad. The individual and lineage. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, it's a completely different thing. It's yeah. great. I mean, I, I think you've just, yeah, come on. Um, I think you can see it. It's just a few minutes. Thank you, guys. Um, might be worth you going to the seminar. Um, so, the first seminars in uh, Monday week, I think. Cole, could we just have the, the seminar slide? I think it's right. Making notes. He's, he's taking on board what we said. Uh, so, on the 14th of March, 7.45 to kind of 9, the first Zoom seminar. Um, I think it, it would do us well to just come and hear what they've got to say and um, there'll be some worksheets to go with it as well and then there'll be a follow-up seminar to that. Um, I just want to pray for them and particularly anyone else here who works in the financial industry for a moment. What if you join me? Father, thank you for men and women who love you and who see money as a means of worship and extension of the kingdom and through obvious and subtle ways help people, other, other people to see that. We pray you would bless these men, pray you would prosper them, that they would have more influence into more people's lives for the glory of Jesus and the good of people. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Um, just a, a few more comments from me, then we will uh, have communion and come back to some worship together. I think the first thing... Um, Abraham alluded to it, and I think it's in Proverbs, it says, leaving an inheritance is a blessing, and um, not all of us have the privilege of that. So I have the privilege of having grown up in Zimbabwe, and seeing that even some of the questions that we're discussing, for most of the world who live in abject poverty, we get to choose our jobs, we get to even think about saving. Most people are thinking about getting through the day, and putting food on the table. So wherever we feel pressure, maybe we should maybe just feel more responsibility, to make these choices, to even consider that we might be able to have a choice with our money. That's a great privilege. But the reason we deal with that is so that millions more over the years would have that privilege and that responsibility. So uh, in, in the context I grew up in, we had a, a gentleman called Daniel who used to um, care for our house. He lived away from his family and he would go back once or twice a year. And every single bit of money he earned was sent back to his family so that they could survive. We've got to understand where we live in the West. And um, the war in Ukraine has led to some really helpful discussions around our dinner table because I don't want to put it on my children, but they have no idea how most of the world live. 
They have no idea the responsibility and the privilege we have of these choices. But we do. And that's, you know, that God's put us in this place and now in the mystery of why that and why this. But this is where we are. And we have this great opportunity and privilege to steward all that we have. Um, if you've not done a will, so these are a few pastoral comments, please write a will in the next week. So that you, that's one way you can deliberately steward it. There's, even if it's you initially getting down your expression of your wishes and then finding out how you write a will after that. That's good stewardship of your money. And alongside that, I would say write letters to those who might be left behind. Because by the time you come to think of it, it might be too late. It's one of the best pieces of advice we have. And we can find some resources for that. Others in here will have experience. Just ask around of writing a will and also writing letters to loved ones. Obviously, money, and we've talked all about this, it's about giving, isn't it? I wonder if the band can come up and uh, it would be suitable for us to finish 